Holy Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for giving us the grace to be among the living today. Glory, praise, honor, and adoration be unto your holy name. Your will be done in heaven and your will be done on earth, and we pray that you will make us the instruments by which your will is done on this earth. We have heard of the promises that you have made to us finite fallen humans, that we may be in the image of your our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we want to grasp this promise, and we pray, Lord, work in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. As we fellowship with you now, strengthen, edify, and bless us. Grant us the gift of your Holy Spirit. Grant us the gift of your word that it may transform our lives. As we prepare for the coming of our Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, that all necessary things will be done in our character. May the words which we will hear now prepare us, strengthen us, edify us. Put your words in my lips, dear Lord. Grant me of your spirit that your children may be blessed by the things they will hear. In Jesus' name I have prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, August 26 For such a time as this. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Esther chapter 4 verse 14 A certain day was appointed on which the Jews were to be destroyed and their property confiscated. Little did the king realize the far-reaching results that would have accompanied the complete carrying out of this decree. Satan himself, the hidden instigator of the scheme, was trying to rid the earth of those who preserved the knowledge of the true God. The decree of the Medes and Persians could not be revoked. Apparently, there was no hope. All the Israelites were doomed to destruction. But the plots of the enemy were defeated by a power that reigns among the children of men. In the providence of God, Esther, a Jewess who feared the Most High, had been made queen of the Medo-Persian kingdom. Mordecai was a near relative of hers. In their extremity, they decided to appeal to Zexis in behalf of their people. Esther was to venture into his presence as an intercessor. Who knoweth, said Mordecai, whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? The crisis that Esther faced demanded quick, earnest action. But both she and Mordecai realized that unless God should work mightily in their behalf, their own efforts would be unavailing. So, Esther took time for communion with God, the source of her strength. Go, she directed Mordecai, gather all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish to every household and every school, to every parent, teacher, and child upon whom has shone the light of the gospel, comes at this crisis the question put to Esther the queen at that momentous crisis in Israel's history. Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Amen. The title of our devotion for today is For Such a Time as This. The purpose of God in taking the children of Israel into the hidden lands as exiles from their own nation and slaves in, the, in a strange country was to be fulfilled. God had first raised them up to be separate from the world so that they could be at the crossroads and have a sanctifying influence on the nations that surrounded them. And as I say this, I want us to look at the similarity with us today. God has raised us, his children, Christians, 
for a purpose that we may have a sanctifying transforming influence in the lives of all with whom we come in contact the taking of the children into these strange lands and even when god left them in their own land was so that they could be in the midst of the world but not of the world and being in interaction with the world they would change them in fact in the book of deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 5 and down to to verse 14 god expressed this in these words he said behold i have taught you statutes and judgments even as the lord my god commanded me this is moses talking to them anyway that you should do so in the land whither you go to possess it keep therefore and do them for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations which shall hear all these statutes and say surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people for what nation is there so great who hath god so nigh unto them as the lord our god is in all things that we call upon him for and what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which i set before you this day i'll stop here in verse 8 what was it that was supposed to help them to be an influence to the nations around them it was the law if there was one person who ensured that this was done it was people like david king jehoshaphat king asha especially i would say king jehoshaphat these men intentionally did what god wanted them to do and through their influence there were nations like the philistines the egyptians the edomites who said what nation is there so great as israel not because they had a fleet of armies not because they had well-built structures in their nation but because of their character because of the law jehoshaphat did this work this was what the lord wanted israel to be he didn't intend to destroy the other nations he wanted them to be a tool by which he would have an influence in this world to transform the lives of many that through them many may come to god but they failed and therefore god led them into other nations and he allowed the faithful people the few faithful ones the remnant to also be taken as captives people like daniel shedrach meshach abednego and there were others too apart from them and then there was someone like mordecai the purpose of them going there was so that they can be corrected of their sin and what sin was it that they committed the most it was the sin of idolatry god told them follow my law to be an influence among other nations but they didn't it was disobedience to god's law that brought about their captivity among other nations now they lived among others those who were faithful were determined to keep the law of god among such was mordecai and there was an incident that was going to test his faith and bring him to prominence the main reason for which they were taken as captives was their incessant desire to drift into idolatry while also neglecting god's sabbath day while being captives they realized that truly they were foolish in practicing idolatry and were effectually cured of it after the lord commanded moses concerning the way uh, they were to be a blessing to all nations he also gave a special warning concerning idolatry because moses had seen their strong desire to go in this direction he said in the same deuteronomy 4 from verse 15 he then told them take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves for ye saw no manner of similitude on the day that the lord spake unto you in horeb out of the midst of the fire lest you corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image the similitude of any figure the likeness of male or female the likeness of any beast that is on the earth the likeness of any winged fowl that flyeth in the air the likeness of anything that creepeth on the ground the likeness of any fish that is in the waters beneath the earth unless thou lift up thine eyes unto heaven and when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars even all the host of heaven shouldest be driven to worship them and serve them which the lord god had divided unto all nations under, under the whole heaven but the lord hath taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace even out of egypt to be unto him a people of inheritance as ye are this day amen now 
this matter of idolatry was a problem. The children of Israel did not listen. They made to themselves idols and they worshipped it. But now that they were in the kingdom of the Medo-Persians, firstly in Babylon but now in the Medo-Persian kingdom, they knew that they were not supposed to do this. They realized that all their efforts in worshipping idols was futile. Their idols did not save them. Now they were sure that idolatry was useless. Now they were determined to stand for the law of God and against idolatry. Now they were in the kingdom of Persia. This matter of idolatry was a matter of test to Mordecai. Without going through the story yet, we must have in mind why we are going through this whole devotion. Remember when we started that we read something that says the Bible record of men and women of ancient times presents a background so broad and diverse that every modern person may identify with someone portrayed in the Bible. All who are wise will gain from a study of the Bible that which will direct, enrich and guard their own personal life. They will draw courage from those who triumphed, learn from the mistakes of others and hopefully will be spared the heartaches of those who made unwise choices. So today, we are going to draw courage from the story of Mordecai. It contains lessons so important for those who are living in the last days. Romans 15 verse 4 tells us, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. The book of Esther chapter, th- Esther chapter 3 reading from verse 1 to 8 presents to us the situation that led to something very similar to what we are going to face here in these last days. Let me read it. It says, After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamedatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Then the king's servants which were in the king's gate said unto Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandment? Now it came to pass, when they speak daily unto him, and he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath, and he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had showed him the people of Mordecai. Wherefore, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. Hmm. Here is a very troubling situation. Mordecai seems to be in contempt of this man Haman. But is that the case? Is he disrespecting him? The Bible does not say that Mordecai disrespected Haman. Neither does it say that Haman was particularly offended with Mordecai. He greeted him, which is an act of respect. The only thing is that he refused to bow to him. But why did he refuse to bow? The reason is as we read in verse 4. Reading from verse 3, it says that the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandment? Verse 4 says, Now it came to pass, when they speak daily unto him, and he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman, to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand, for he had told them his reason. What's his reason? That he was a Jew. I am a Jew was Mordecai's excuse for actually transgressing the commandment of the king because the king actually commanded that Haman must be reverenced and they should bow to him. But Mordecai refused. Why did he refuse? I am a Jew. What does he mean, I am a Jew? He is saying, we Jews do not engage in idolatry. Bowing to Haman wasn't necessarily an act of respect in this case. It was a kind of worship that was required of them. It was flattery to say the least, and Mordecai as a child of God could not engage in this. Haman was not the king, and at the same time, the position he held was one 
that was uh, akin to the uh, God because the way that he was they were told the people under the Persian kingdom were told to bow to him it was not just necessarily that bowing that requires that we do normally when you are greeting your fellow man it was one that was similar to worship and it would have looked like idolatry there are others who speculate that Haman was an Agagite which is from the land of the Amalekites and that's the reason why why Mordecai refused to bow to him but that reason is not very substantial when you hear the name of Haman's children they are all with Persian names they were not with Am- uh, names like that of the Amalekites they were all answering Persian names so it's uh, it's not uh, very plausible to say it was because he was an Amalekite but it was because it was idolatry in his eyes and that was why he refused I am a Jew was his reason not he is an Amalekite but I am a Jew here there comes a time for us too we see things like this happen to us where the commandment of the state is infringing on our own obedience to the commandments of God that's what happened to Mordecai what was happening here was that Mordecai's liberty of conscience was being threatened a command was given that he should do something that his worship to his God prohibits. A time is coming when that will happen to us even now. In this earth, it is building up. The state, the whole world is going to make laws that would require God's children to trample on the law of God at the expense of losing their rights or being killed. What was it that happened to Mordecai after Haman got offended with him? Reading from the book of Esther, chapter 3, from verse 7, it says, In the first month, that is, the month Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast Pur, that is, the lot, before Haman from day to day and from month to month, to to the twelfth month, that is, the month Adar. Reading from verse 8 here, it says, And Haman said unto King Ahasuerus, there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom and their laws are diverse from all people neither keep they the king's laws therefore it is not for the king's prophet to suffer them so now let me stop here again do you see now Haman was shown about Mordecai not just Mordecai but in verse 5 we are told that he heard about Mordecai's people there in verse 5 it says and when that's Esther 3 verse 5 it says and when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not nor did him reverence that Haman was full of wrath and he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone for they had showed him the people of Mordecai wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews so why does this affect all the Jews? It is because the law of the Jews prohibited them from doing reverence to Haman. It is not about him being Haman being an Amalekite here. It is a conflict between the law of God and the law of the land. And that's why Haman was pointing it to the king and saying, These people have a law that contradicts the law that you have given. Let us destroy them. Now back to Esther chapter 3. I'll take that verse again. Verse 8 down to 11 it says and Haman said unto King Ahasuerus there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom and their laws are diverse from all people neither keep they the king's laws therefore it is not for the king to profit king's prophets to suffer them if it please the king let it be written that they may be destroyed and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it unto the king's treasures and the king took his ring from his hand and gave it to Haman the son of Hamadatha the Agagite the Jews enemy and the king said unto Haman the silver is given to thee the people also do with them as it seemeth good to thee now something to take note of here is that Haman didn't tell him that they were Jews because the king's wife was a Jew. He didn't mention that. I'm not saying he didn't mention it because he knew that Esther was a Jew, but the king himself didn't seem not to have known that the people being talked about here were Jews. So he gave the command that they should be destroyed and their trouble was brewing for the Jews. Like I said earlier, 
Mordecai's liberty of conscience was threatened. So what is liberty of conscience? It means the freedom to choose who you worship or who you do not worship and also how you worship. This concept was clearly spelled out by a man known as Roger Williams. He was a Mordecai for his own time. In the dark ages, this freedom of worship was denied to anyone under the first beast represented by papal Rome. Reading in uh, Romans in the book of Revelation chapter 13 from verse 1 down to verse, uh, verse 10, you'll hear about a beast who blasphemed God and persecuted the saints and trampled upon them and prevailed against them. This is referring to the era of 538 AD down to 1798 which is the 1260 years or 42 months being referred to in revelation 13 42 months is said that this kingdom will reign this is the change this is the roman empire but represented in the papacy not the imperial or uh, pagan rome it transformed itself pagan rome transformed itself after persecuting during the pagan rome it continued its persecution under papal rome which is simply put the roman catholic church responsible for taking away people's liberty of conscience that is in that time during these dark ages the papacy the roman church had persecuted people killed burnt maimed even buried women alive who did not agree with their religious views in Europe and even in Africa and some parts of Asia. God made a way for these weary faithful believers to find peace to worship him. This Then there is a second beast in Revelation 13 reading from verse 11. It says, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamp, and he spake as a dragon, and he exercised the power of the first beast before him remember that first beast is the papacy and he caused the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed now who is this second beast it is referring to the united states of america you see as those persecuted christians scattered all over europe especially and some parts of asia could not remain in any place where they were Roman Catholics because they would punish them just for refusing to throw a fire of incense into something that they said they did not believe and they would kill them for it. They would burn them on the stick, lock them in prisons, take away their possessions, throw them off a cliff headlong so that they would die, rip the babies of the women from their womb peel their skins, take them into instruments of torture, burn them alive, put them in graves alive and cover them with sand. All kinds of cruelty were being done to those who did not agree with the views of the church. They needed a place where they can have peace to worship God and God provided a place in where we call North America, a place today known as the United States of America, these pilgrims who were being persecuted fled to that place. That is why today you hear it called the home of the free and the brave. That is why it is so. It was there that these people fled to worship God. But even they, these Christians, did not understand the concept of liberty of conscience. They needed to be taught it. Reading from Great Controversy, page 292, paragraph 3 and downward, it says, It was the desire for liberty of conscience that inspired the pilgrims to brave the perils of the long journey across the sea, to endure the hardships and dangers of the wilderness, and with God's blessing, to lay on the shores of America the foundation of a mighty nation. Yet, honest and God-fearing as they were, the pilgrims did not yet comprehend the great principle of religious liberty. The freedom which they sacrificed so much to secure for themselves, they were not equally ready to grant to others. Very few, even of the foremost thinkers and moralists of the 17th century, had any just conception of that grand principle, the outgrowth of the New Testament, which acknowledges God as the sole judge of human faith. The doctrine that God has committed to the church, the right to control the conscience and to define and punish heresy is one of the most deeply rooted of papal errors. While the reformers rejected the creed of Rome, they were not entirely free from her spirit of intolerance. The dense darkness in which, through the long ages of her rule, popery had enveloped all Christendom 
had not even yet been wholly dissipated, said one of the leading ministers in the colony of Massachusetts Bay. It was toleration that made the world anti-Christian and the church never took harm by the punishment of heretics. The regulation was adopted by the colonists that only church members should have a voice in the civil government. A kind of state church was formed, all the people being required to contribute to the support of the clergy and the magistrates being authorized to suppress heresy. Thus, the secular people was in the hands of the church. It was not long before these measures led to the inevitable result, persecution. Eleven years after planting after the planting of the first colony, Roger Williams came to the New World. Like the early pilgrims, he came to enjoy religious freedom. But unlike them, he saw what so few in his time had yet seen, that this freedom was the inalienable right of all, whatever might be their creed. He was an earnest seeker for truth, with Robinson holding it impossible that all the light from God's word had yet been received. Williams was the first person in modern Christendom to establish civil government on the doctrine of the liberty of conscience, the equality of opinions before the law. He declared it to be the duty of magistrates to restrain crime but never to control the conscience. He said, the public or the magistrates may decide what is due from man to man. But when they attempt to prescribe man's duties to God, they are out of place and there can be no safety, for it is clear that if the magistrate has the power, he may decree one set of opinions or beliefs today and another tomorrow, as has been done in England by different kings and queens and by different popes and councils in the Roman Church, so that belief will become a heap of confusion. End of quote. You see, this is where we understand the concept of liberty of conscience spelled out by this blessed man, Roger Williams. He said the public or the magistrates can decide what is due from man to man. What is due from man to man? Thou shalt not kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't covet, honor your father and your mother. But the magistrates are not permitted to, dis- to prescribe. They are out of place to say to, what, to man what is his duty to God. In the case of Haman and Mordecai, they were telling him his duty to God. He was not offending Haman by not bowing to him. It was not his duty to Haman to bow. And to punish him for refusing to bow was infringing on his liberty of conscience. He did not steal from Haman. He did not kill him. He did not take his wife. He did not disrespect him. He did not bear false witness or covet Haman's uh, property. So, why were they punishing him? It was infringing on Mordecai's liberty of conscience. And today, we are coming to a place where the world is going to infringe on liberty of conscience once again. But as we read the story of Haman, we understand God's plan for us and also what we are to do in such a time as this. I'll read again now from Great Controversy, page 295, paragraph 2 and 3. It says, because there was a document now written later, um, Roger Williams prevailed in the U.S. And that was when they wrote a document to preserve liberty of conscience. It says, we call that today the Bill of Rights. It says, in that grand old document, which our forefathers set forth as the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, they declared, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the Constitution guarantees, in the most explicit terms, the inviolability of conscience. It says, no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. 
The framers of the constitution recognized the eternal principle that man's relation with his God is above human legislation and his rights of conscience inalienable. Reasoning was not necessary to establish this truth. We are conscious of it in our own bosoms. It is this consciousness which, in defiance of human laws, has sustained so many martyrs in tortures and flames. They felt that their duty to God was superior to human enactments and that man could exercise no authority over their consciences. It is an inborn principle which nothing can eradicate. Amen. That's from the Congressional Document Serial Number 200, Document Number 271. End of quote. Wow. This is what Mordecai knew. It's in all humans. We all know it. Nobody needs to tell us. It's inborn. We know that when someone is trying to compel us to worship a God against our will, we rise up against it. We feel we would rather die than do something like that because somehow, whether it is written in documents or not, we know that it is our right. And this was what Mordecai faced. His liberty of conscience was being threatened. The Bible speaks in the book of Revelation 13 of something like that that is going to happen to God's people in these last days. Revelation 13 from verse 11 talks about this same beast with the United States of America is going to build an image to the beast. We'll talk about that in more detail tomorrow where they would punish those who refuse to go with the laws of the state that infringes on people's rights to worship God how they choose and where they choose or to not worship another God. And how are they going to do it? By using the civil government. And this is the reason that we should be careful. When we see under one pretext or another the state trying to take away people's rights. It was not long ago that we saw even Christians clamoring that people's rights should be taken away from them, not knowing where the devil is leading them to. They brought about a so-called pandemic that was not actually a pandemic because I didn't see it with my eyes and most people in Africa did not see it and in many nations too, claiming that there was this pandemic and people needed to be locked up in their houses and their liberties taken from them. People were not permitted to go to church. People were not permitted to worship God the way they wanted to. Why? Because they claimed that there was an emergency. Look, the devil is making a plan. If you are a Christian and you were supporting such things, you need to understand the bigger picture. If you think that people's rights can be taken away from them in cases of emergency, oh, you are being set up by the devil. That government that believes that in the case of an emergency, they can take away people's rights. What do you think they will do? They will create an emergency so that they can take your rights away. And if you as a Christian are supporting such a thing, you are shooting yourself on the foot. Even if it is because of our lives, so-called, that there is a disease here and there, it is never a reason for the state to make a law to infringe on people's rights to worship God how they choose. They are overstretching it and they have overpassed their boundaries when they stop people from worshipping God under the pretext of a so-called emergency. It is not right because when you permit that, only a matter of time, it will become normal for the state to take away people's rights and people will just allow it to happen. And very soon, what will happen? They will stretch it further. They will go in another boundary and they will start punishing people. Not for any pandemic now, but for anything that they say should be done that is not done, but yet is infringing on people's rights. What do we do in such situations? The same response that Mordecai had is the same response we should have today. In the book of Esther chapter 4, it says, verse 1, when Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and a bitter cry and came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there were there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved. And she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai, and to take away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. 
Then called Esther for her touch one of the king's chamberlains whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and he and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So Hatach went forth to Mordecai unto the street of the city and which was before the king's gate, and Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him, and of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasurers, treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. And he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther, and to declare it unto her, and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him, and to make request before him for her people. Now when Esther heard this, she was wondering how she going to do it. And she told Mordecai the reason that nobody can go and see the king except he calls them, not even herself. Mordecai then responded with these famous words in verse 15. Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth? whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer, Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. Amen. In these words, we see indeed that God has raised up certain people for certain situations. During that time when the people of God will be persecuted, we read in the book Great Controversy, page 610, paragraph 3, says, For so long, but so long as Jesus remains man's intercessor in the sanctuary above, the restraining influence of the Holy Spirit is felt by rulers and people. It still controls to some extent the laws of the land. Were it not for these laws, the condition of the world would be much worse than it is now. While many of our rulers are active agents of Satan, God also has his agents among the leading men of the nation, just like Esther was. The enemy moves upon his servants to propose measures that will greatly impede the work of God. But statesmen who fear the Lord are influenced by holy angels to oppose such propositions with unanswerable arguments. Thus, a few men will hold in check a powerful current of evil. The opposition of the enemies of truth will be restrained that the third angel's message may do its work. When the final warning shall be given, it will arrest the attention of these leading men through whom the Lord is now working, and some of them will accept it and will stand with the people of God through the time of trouble. End of quote. Amen. You see, from here, what we learn is this. Whatever position we may be privileged to hold in life, we are to remember that we are placed there for the glory of God and to use that position to see that God's principles are held. Reading from Messages to Young People, page 36, paragraph 2 and 3, we are told, The fear of the Lord lies at the foundation of all true greatness. Integrity, unswerving integrity, is the principle that you need to carry with you into all your relations of life. We, we read this yesterday. It says, Take your religion into your school life, into your boarding house, into all, the, all your pursuits. The important question with you now is how to so choose and perfect your studies that you will maintain the solidity and purity of an untarnished Christian character, holding all temporal claims and interest in subjection to the higher claims of the gospel of Christ. You want now to build as you will be able to furnish, to so relate yourself to society and to life that you may answer the purpose of God in your creation. As disciples of Christ, you are not debarred from engaging in temporal pursuits, but you should carry your religion with you. Whatever the business you may qualify yourself to engage in, never entertain the idea that you cannot make a success of it without sacrifice and principle. End of quote. Esther was not ashamed to make it known that she was a Jew. 
How? Not by telling everyone I am a Jew, but by actually showing her true colors from the word go. Before she was admitted, she didn't compromise. For one year during her purification and she didn't compromise also. Also when she showed herself before the king, she didn't compromise. And while she was queen, she maintained principle. She didn't compromise. Now when it was going to be a pleasant and seemingly wise thing to not be a Jew, she still did not compromise. She didn't deny the God who brought her to the position of a queen. She was an orphan. She had nothing. But God's help has elevated her and she used that position to serve God and to help God's people even though it was at the risk of her life. And she said, if I perish, I perish. Reading again from Messages to Young People, page 37, paragraph 1 and 2, we are told, balanced by religious principle. You may climb to any height you please. We will be glad to see you rising to the noble elevation God designs that you shall reach. Jesus loves the precious youth and he is not pleased to see them grow up with uncultivated, undeveloped talents. They may become strong men of, pr of firm principle, fitted to be entrusted with high responsibilities and to this end, they may lawfully strain every nerve. But never commit so great a crime as to pervert your God-given powers to do evil and destroy others. There are gifted men who use their ability to spread moral ruin and corruption. But all such are sowing seed that will produce a harvest which they will not be proud to reap. It is a fearful thing to use God-given abilities in such a way as to scatter blight and woe instead of blessing in society. It is also a fearful thing to fold the talent entrusted to us in a napkin and hide it away in the world, for this is casting away the crown of life. God claims our service. There are responsibilities for everyone to bear, and we can fulfill life's grand mission only when these responsibilities are fully accepted and faithfully and conscientiously discharged. And page 41, paragraph 2 says, Grave responsibilities rest upon the youth. God expects much from the young men who live in this generation of increased light and knowledge. He expects them to impart this light and knowledge. He desires to use them in dispelling the error and superstition that cloud the minds of many. They are to discipline themselves by gathering up every jot and tittle of knowledge and experience. God holds them, that's us, responsible for the opportunities and privileges given them. Take note of the opportunities here, I'm just stopping now. The place you are, you are, your position, your office that you hold, it is a responsibility and God is holding you responsible because it's an opportunity and a privilege to you. The work before them is waiting for their earnest effort, that it may be carried forward from point to point as the time demands. If the youth will consecrate their minds and hearts to God's service, they will reach a high standard of efficiency and usefulness. This is the standard that the Lord expects the youth to attain. To do less than this is to refuse to make the most of God-given opportunities. This will be looked upon as treason against God, a failure to work for the good of humanity." End of quote. It would have been looked at as treason for Esther not to have done what she did in trying to see how she can use her position so that she can influence the law that was made that it will favor God's people. And it will also be treasonous for us today. Wherever you are, to, for one excuse or the other, refuse to do what you are supposed to do to ensure that sanity prevails in this world and that truth is established. You may be a teacher, like we read in the devotion. It doesn't matter your occupation, whatever you are. It says to every household and every school, to every parent, teacher and child upon whom has shown the light of the gospel comes at this crisis, the question put to Esther the queen at that momentous crisis in Israel, in Israel's history, who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this, end of quote. Do you know whether God placed you as a principal of that school for such a time as this? To stop the molestation of the children, to stop the abuse of the children, to ensure 
ensure that true education comes into that school who knows whether god placed you as the local church pastor as the first elder as the head of the sabbath school who knows whether god placed you just as a class teacher or mere class teacher or as a housemaster who knows whether god placed you as the subordinate to the president or whether he placed you as a mere businessman for such a time as this so that god's truth shall be established where you are we are living in a time of a momentous crisis and it will be treasonous for us wherever your position is to not say like esther if i perish i perish esther had her life at stake to make an influence to see that truth is established what do you have at stake your reputation a loss of your job people will mock you some of us don't even have anything at stake all we just need to do is talk or just try to make changes wherever we are we're not even going to lose anything but yet we are so protective of ourselves that we will not use our position our wealth our influence to do anything that will change the status quo the lord will hold us as people who are treasonous for this but we were born for such a time as this to use our position our influence our resources to bring about the establishment of truth and the banishment of superstition and error we are to develop ourselves like esther did vie for those positions that she did lawfully lawfully not breaking the commandments of god and saying i want to go and get a position not breaking the commandments of god and saying i want to use this this disobedience to serve god you can't serve god with your sins take your sins away don't serve god with sin but then we are encouraged to be ambitious for whatever whether it is wealth whether it is position to use it for the glory of god but balance it with that mind that is holy like that of esther and Mordecai. they did not compromise to get position you should not compromise also but develop yourself wherever you are you don't need when i'm saying position must not be be president and all of that no develop yourself learn skills educate yourself for the purpose of using it to establish the truth may the lord bless us as we do that let us pray dear father in heaven thank you lord for the lessons that you have taught us today for such a time as this we were born so that we can be used to your glory and i will always pray lord and i say again thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and make us instruments by which your will will be done forgive us for the times that we have been treasonous for not standing for the truth in the time of crisis for not bringing about changes in our offices as we should or at least suggesting it because esther couldn't bring it but at least she could suggest help us lord to do these things put our lives at stake nevertheless oh lord i pray lord that you give us that courage that esther and mordecai had to stand for the truth though the heavens fall in jesus name i've prayed amen such a time as this for such a time as this are you our help are you our hope at such a time as this is there before you now a chance you dare not miss could it be you have come to the kingdom 
for such a time as this. You and I know you're the one to go before the king. So young, so scared, not knowing what will be. If I should go, please tell my people I've one plea. Pray for me for such a time. Kingdom.